Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome into a crossover episode. Uh, we'll talk about this as Nuggets numbers for the Denver Stiffs podcast side of things. I'm Ryan Blackburn, your host, joined today by a special guest. Uh, one of the main leaders over at Clips Nation uh, does some work for Silver Screen and Roll as well. It is Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina, how are you? I'm doing better than the Clippers, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine this. It's looking that great over there right now. But, hey, the, the series is 1-1. We have two games worth of data to talk about now. Uh, just just your brief thoughts, at least initially, on, on what we saw from game two following what was clearly a, a massive blowout that the Nuggets weren't ready for in game one. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I wasn't sure how much to appropriate game one to the Nuggets just played seven games against Utah, and they had 48 hours to get ready for the Clippers. But I also had my prior convictions that, the Clippers are a lot better than the Nuggets and this is the kind of team they've been for most of the season. And I didn't want to just take away all the credit from the Clippers because I thought they played really well and they deserved to win that game, regardless of whether Denver was rust, you know, rusty or not. But this kind of changed my priors, I guess. Sure. I, yeah, absolutely. I expected the Clippers to have more control of the series. I thought they'd gotten the whole, like, let's mess around thing out of their system against Dallas and Every time I think I have this Clippers team figured out, I, I realize I don't. <laughs> and yeah, this was just another example of that coming to play in this game too. I think it's very fair. Uh, what about this game really changed your opinion of, of where the Clippers are versus where you expected them to be? So I think it's fair to assume that anytime a team loses game one, they will try to make some sort of adjustment in game two, right? And we saw that with the Nuggets. They changed their defensive strategy on Kawhi Leonard completely. They, instead of just letting him go one-on-one, basically for most of game one, uh, in game two, they sent multiple defenders at him. They swarmed him. Uh, you just never got Kawhi in the paint without like at least three Denver bodies around him. And Kawhi had eight assists. You know, he did some okay things there, but it just seemed like the Clippers never had an offensive counter to what Denver was doing. And right. I was stunned by that because this is a team that has so many scorers, you know, Paul George, Luke Williams, even Marcus Morris has had a really nice playoffs. And to see them so dysfunctional in offense when the number one thing they wanted to do wasn't working was the main takeaway from this game for me. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting to watch Kawhi tonight. Um, the Nuggets used Jeremy Grant as the primary defender on him, and I thought he did yeoman's work uh, against what I think is the best player in the NBA right now. Uh, Kawhi went four of 17. He had eight assists, like you said, but he had to work so hard for all of the points and all of the opportunities that he had. And Some of it was the Nuggets sending additional defenders at Kawhi consistently. A lot of it was just Jeremy Grant being as bothersome as possible with his length, his athleticism. I thought he was extremely physical tonight, which is not something he normally is. He's usually, he's pretty thin. Mm -hmm. So this is something that a guy like Kawhi, who is as strong as he is, 
you, you never know how it's going to work when you have somebody a little bit skinnier like Jeremy Grant. He's bodied him at times, but I thought Grant really stepped up tonight for Denver's side of things. Yeah, and I think um, as, as long as we're talking about individual defenders, I thought Gary Harris was pretty excellent as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I know. I know Mike Malone said, you know, the individual defense doesn't really matter if we're not sending the right help, you know, afterwards, but it's an important place to start. <laughs> and sure. I thought that Kawhi didn't feel Grant at all in game one. And maybe that's just, again, they retired or whatever, but he definitely felt him today. And I thought Paul George definitely felt Gary Harris too. I mean, George's numbers look a little bit better. I think he finished with 22 points. Uh, he shot, what, um, seven of 19 from the field. So like not right. terrible, but not great either. Uh, but yeah, Harris Grant at the point of attack, which is super important. And, you know, you don't think of Denver as a defensive team, really. I mean, I, I guess don't, I don't think anybody don't does. Let's, let's do, be but... honest. Like, like this is, it's always interesting when you, when you get into a different series and you, and, different things start to happen because the Nuggets, they, they were in a really tough spot against Utah because they had so many bigger players, so many forward-sized defenders for Denver. They're starting Grant, Millsap, and Jokic. And the Clipper, or the, the Jazz go the other way. They have so many smaller, quicker, uh, speedier, shiftier def- or offensive players. And Donovan Mitchell is just a great example of that. that the Nuggets, they didn't really have a lot of great answers for Utah and they also had Rudy Gobert, who's just pretty good at rolling to the rim, just like Avisa Zubac is. Mm-hmm. Um, but against the Clippers, I do think that the Nuggets have a lot more size than people generally gave them credit for. Uh, they added Jeremy Grant and, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. in the offseason this year. And that really changed the dynamic of what they can do from game to game. During the playoffs last season, they were getting bodied by Rodney Hood. That's not happening this year. They have, their guys are, are a lot bigger. Like, like they're, they're just a, a much larger team in general. And I think that has really changed the calculus of this series now. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I was wondering how much the Nuggets were going to miss Will Barton. Because a lot they still start the majority do. of yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he's, he's definitely, he's a, he's a starter. He's a versatile piece. He's mm-hmm. he improved as a defender this year. He's given Paul George some troubles in the past though. Like Paul George is an all-star and like he'll, mm-hmm. he'll bounce back from that, of course. But right. uh, Martin is one of those guys that the Nuggets, given the fact that they have such like offensive personnel versus defensive personnel, Martin's kind of the hybrid between those two. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's not out there has really changed a lot of things for Denver. I thought that they really missed him against Utah, and that series would have been over a lot quicker if he was there. Uh, I don't know if he defends Will Bart or if he defends Paul George as well as Gary Harris defended Paul George tonight. But it's just a it's a nice thing to have another guy out there who can also handle the ball and make decisions. Yeah, I almost wonder if like you feel the absence of Barton more on that second unit when you're just relying on Michael Porter Jr. to do more things and. I like Michael Porter Jr. a lot. I know Clipper fans are constantly in this thing in their head of whether they should have taken him with the 13th pick last year, and they didn't. I'm sorry, yeah, the 13th pick last year. Um, But in the starting lineup, I feel like if Barton had started this series as the small forward and not Jeremy Grant, like it almost works out better for the Nuggets that they were forced into that position. I I 100% agree with you. One of the things that came from that February 28th matchup between these two teams where the Clippers just punked Denver. Like, let's punked be honest them, yeah. here. Uh, Will Barton was a team meeting after a loss. It's pretty bad. It's, it, it was bad. It was, it was really bad. Uh, Will Barton was one of the guys who was out there on that starting unit. 
And he really struggled given the fact that he just gives up so much size to a guy like Kawhi, who's so strong anyway, that at least you need to match up with his length. Uh, uh, Jeremy Grant's not going to out physical him, but he's going to give a better effort, I think, than Will Barton can. And, and Will Barton, he's, he's tried so hard this year on defense that it's definitely not like, it's just not within his power to be able to do stuff like that. I'm glad that the Nuggets went with Grant in the starting lineup against Utah because I think it prepared them a lot for this series. And that's a really underlying factor that Nuggets fans don't like to give Michael Malone a lot of credit for his starting lineups, but the fact that he he started Jeremy Grant at the three, Paul Millsap at the four, that really helped the Nuggets so far. Yeah. I mean, Paul Millsap was way better than I thought he was going to be today too. Uh, I think Clippers expect yeah. to win that Marcus Morris-Paul Millsap matchup and they the Clippers won that in game one, like sizably, I would say. But Millsap oh, yeah. just looked oh, yeah. cooked, frankly. Um, but Millsap had a little more verve today, for lack of a better word. Like he was bouncier than I expected. Uh, he had a couple of nice finishes around the basket. I mean, sure. Morris wasn't doing anything against him. That, like, obviously, like, this series is probably going to come down to, you know, whether Kawhi Leonard and Paul George outplay Jokic and Jamal Murray. And I think over the course of the series, they probably still will. But, like, those lesser matchups, you know, Millsap versus Morris, I, I did not expect that to go so significantly in Denver's direction in this game, which. Uh, yeah. Given, given the prior evidence that we had for most of this playoffs, I don't think anybody did. So I think that like Matt Moore uh, at HP basketball was really on this. Uh, he, he said that Paul Millsap was going to bounce back this series and uh, it, it, the Utah matchup just wasn't great for him because he was either going to defend Joe Ingles or Royce O'Neal or get switched onto a small guard. This right, time when he gets so small, yeah, yeah. This time when he gets switched, he's still on Kawhi Leonard or Paul George, but at least he's around their same size. And there, there are definitely things that Denver can do better than they did in Game One. And I thought that they sent a lot of a lot more help in these situations than they did in Game One. Uh, that will help it help cover up for Paul Millsap's deficiencies for sure. Uh, let me ask you this. What did you think of the Murray and then like Murray on offense matchup for the Clippers, how they defended him, what, what the, what you saw from that uh, and how you think that went? I, Cause it was, it's clear that Jamal had a bounce back game today. Right. And I think um, most of that really came in the first quarter, which uh, the Clippers started with Beverly on Murray today. Um, yeah. And I think, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, they switch a lot, so it's not like one person ever gets the primary matchup. Uh, Leonard was on him for the majority of the time in game one. Um, again, obviously, with the, the caveat that, like, they matchup switched during the course of a possession, but, like, he started the possessions on Murray, and it's it sounds strange to think, like, oh, the Clippers got their starting point guard back, Patrick Beverly, and, like, there was a downgrade in the defensive assignment in terms of, like, him guarding Murray instead of Kawhi Leonard, uh, but... Murray kind of punked Beverly in the first half. <laughs> like, yeah, there was uh, there were some interesting moments during that during that first half, and then there was one down the stretch. Murray hit that clutch bucket against Kawhi, where he, he hit that step back against mm-hmm. him. Uh, I I have been on this from the beginning, and and I think a lot of Nuggets fans have given me credit for seeing the Jamal Murray rise a little bit more than some people have given him credit for. He is clearly taking a leap. And the fact that he's a little bit more comfortable going up against whether it's Kawhi, whether it's Paul George, whether it's Patrick Beverly, those guys present their individual issues and they're awesome defenders. Like this is the best perimeter defensive team in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
if Murray can continue to play at this level, that helps out Denver so much, so, so much, that at least they can count on this level of production from him. Yeah, and I just thought that, like, the Clippers didn't uh, send multiple bodies at Murray as much as they did in game one. Like, they, they really flustered him at the start of game one, and whether that was just, like, the Clippers not having the defensive effort they needed to at the start of this game, which I think was part of it. I, I really don't think it was schematic. I don't think they changed anything from game one. It was just the Nuggets were, like, faster than the ball. They were quicker in their decision-making, and the Clippers were just a step behind that entire first quarter. And I, I really thought that, like, Murray and Jokic were going to be on pace for just colossal figures, you know, sort of like the numbers you saw in that Utah series, and they definitely sure. slowed down over the course of the game. But just that dent in the first quarter was just way too much to overcome. It, it was big. Uh... One of the things that I saw going toward, like throughout the game, after Jokic gets going, after Murray gets going, you really saw the Clippers start to send an extra man in trying to defend those matchups. Uh, mm-hmm. We saw when Jokic was posting up Jamichael Green or Montrez Harrell, they were generally doubling him in the post. You don't want to double Nikola Jokic because no. I mean, you, you kind of have to, but like he's he's really good with most of his decisions with the ball. He did have six turnovers tonight, but. Some of those were, were a couple bad ones in the fourth quarter. Yeah, too. a couple a couple bad ones in the fourth quarter, but at least they were dead ball turnovers as opposed to live ball. Um, it's really really difficult to defend the Nuggets when you have to double those guys because as long as their role players are hitting outside open shots and they were open, like like Gary Harris was hitting wide open shots and he hasn't done that all season, so we'll see if he comes back down to earth. But like he hit them tonight, and Paul Millsap when he was out there hit them tonight. So we're going we're gonna to have to see how that goes and, and whether they can keep that going in, in game three and on. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Just, uh, one quick thing about that. Uh, in game one, I feel like the Clippers really didn't have to double Jokic, and not just because, um, again, the tired thing, but I, I just thought Ivica Zubac was so much better defensively in game one than he was today. And he's the only guy with the build, really, to be able yeah. to match up one-on-one with Jokic on this roster. And it's this like constant criticism level that the Clippers that they're just not big enough and they don't have size. And I think it's completely overblown because Subach has been so much better than most people are willing to give him credit for. But he was the first one to say it after this game. Like he was not good enough defensively. He let Jokic get the ball wherever he wanted to. He was slow to contest those three pointers in the first quarter. I think Jokic had four in the first half or four in the mm-hmm. first quarter, maybe even. I, four I in the first that. quarter, uh, yeah. I think. Uh, maybe maybe it was three, but but he did have at least those four in the, in the first half and, and looked really good spacing the floor. That was one of the things that really stands out with the Clippers' defensive coverages is that when they're in the pick and roll with Zubac, Zubac really drops. Like, like exactly. that's, that's the scheme that they play. They're going to have the, the wings and the guards fight over screens, and it leaves the pick and pop open, and they're going to trust that the, that the offensive center or the power forward is not going to be able to hit those shots. Well, the, the Nuggets hit them tonight. Paul Millsap hit a couple at the beginning of the third quarter when Zubac was guarding him. I thought that was a really interesting wrinkle. Um, but we, this this really could come down to just who shoots the ball better um, mm-hmm. because the, the Nuggets shot the ball better tonight. The Clippers shot 28% from three. They missed nine free throws. That really hurts them. Uh, does it just come down to missing shots or, or – did the Nuggets do enough defensively that, that you think that they could still take some stuff away? Yeah, I mean, the Clippers kind of get in this pattern sometimes where they just – the ball sticks. And they are such a hard team to guard when they move the ball because, I mean, how are you going to cover Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Patrick Beverly in the corner and you know yeah. Marcus Morris even when he's shooting well. And like you said, Zubach on those rolls. 
when they just get bogged down in these isolation games, like it's, it's much easier to defend them. And I, I would like to give Denver credit because they obviously did a much better job of making things difficult for Kawhi. Like he couldn't get to his preferred spots in the post. And that's the number one thing the Clippers look to get, you know, when they're struggling on offense, but for whatever reason, the Clippers just weren't moving the ball. And it's, it's something that happens. Like it obviously is not like a, a, a one-time thing for the Clippers. Like you can expect this to pop up again. And I don't know why it keeps happening because right. Doc Rivers just says it as often as he possibly can, how much he loves ball movement. Um, but yeah, the, that stickiness, I, I don't think is like something that other teams impose on the Clippers. I think it's something that's just sort of a bug of who they are because they don't have like natural passers in their offense. Sure. Uh, I agree with that. So uh, like, like, Kawhi, say, like Kawhi has really, like he's really evolved his game. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. Like he had eight assists tonight and it, it does a great job when he's faced with double teams, but it's not in his natural calculus as a basketball player to be looking for that on a consistent basis. Like he, he's a, he's a killer. Like he, he wants to score. He wants to get to his spots. And if he can't, then he'll pass. Right. Like that's why that one shot uh, that the Clippers had in the fourth quarter, when they finally cut it to five points, when Kawhi like got into the teeth of the defense and just like kicked it out to Paul George immediately. Like those are the kind of things that you see like this evolution of Kawhi as a passer, which again, that wasn't really part of his game, even as recently as last year, right. but it's still not like, if Kawhi is your leading assist guy, I just, I think there's something a little bit inherently just missing, you know, in terms of the Clippers ball movement. So who takes that playmaking responsibility for the Clippers if it's not Kawhi? It kind of has to be Kawhi, right? With, with their personnel, you know, like yeah. Williams is it off yeah. the bench. I think he had what seven assists off the bench and um, he looked pretty good. Like, he looked pretty good. Nothing, right. I mean, his three, ball wasn't fall- his three ball wasn't falling. And I don't think that was a Denver defense thing. I think it was just Lou Williams was not making threes and uh, you know, a couple of those go in, he finished one of six, then this is a wildly different outcome we're talking about potentially. Sure. But uh, it has to be like a collective effort, you know, like Paul George has to run some pick and rolls when he's that lead guy with those bench units and uh Patrick Beverly has to be a little more decisive with the ball than he was today. I, I, I don't even remember him commit doing anything really of consequence on offense other than getting like a couple offensive rebounds, which Pat is great for, but sure, sure. yeah, <laughs> he just sort of jumps in out of nowhere and you're like, where did the six foot guy come from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, he's just an animal out there. Yeah. We, should we, should we talk about the, the ejection that he got at the end or does that not warrant anything? Uh, you know, the, the Clippers, uh, they're not the most level-headed team at times, you know, and yeah, you, usually, you usually only see this rear its head against, like, the Rockets, to be perfectly honest, but uh, it doesn't surprise me to see an ejection at the end of the game. And, like, Pat hasn't played the entire first round, so it's not like he's accumulating technical points at this juncture. So yeah, yeah. it is what it is, you know. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fully with you there. I don't think that what the Nuggets did in the first quarter is super sustainable, like, in terms of, scoring 44 points against one of the best defenses in the bubble. Uh, I don't know about their defense. I think, I think the Nuggets defense is really interesting. I don't think the Clippers got a lot of open threes in the first matchup. And I don't think they got a lot in the second matchup either. I think that there's, there's some interesting things here. Like the, like the Clippers made some, some really nice shots in the first game. And I don't think the Nuggets were able to make anything, but I thought it was interesting tonight that, that, this Clippers team, like when, when their shots dry up a little bit, what is the next step for them? Like, is it just Kawhi getting into the mid range, Paul George driving to the rim? Uh, who, who are they turning to in those situations? Yeah, I think um, both of those options that you suggested are exactly right. And 
while I agree with you that the Nuggets provided a lot of pressure on the Clippers jump shooters, I don't think that the Clippers missing shots at the rim was really just because, you know, there was fantastic rim protection or anything like Paul George missed a couple of bunnies yeah. around the rim, you know, sure. Kawhi Leonard missed a couple there too. Uh, and that was in the first quarter, which is kind of, you know, where I feel like the rhythm just fell apart altogether. You know, uh, we have what a 12 2 start to the game. And within that point, I think like Paul George has two point blank finishes that he just like gacked. And uh, with all due respect to Nicole Jokic, I don't think it's <laughs> that's why Paul George missed those no, two shots. No, of course. <laughs> uh, one of the things that the Nuggets did really well in this game was, I mean, Jokic did have three blocks. I thought there was there was some good rim protection from him tonight specifically, but it was the help defense. It was Jeremy mm-hmm. Grant coming into the lane. It was Paul Millsap coming over there. It was Jamal Murray and Gary Harris being a bother. It was other guys who were, who were consistently showing themselves at the rim not trusting that the Clippers guys could be able to make that read and pass out and hit mm-hmm. the wide open shot on the backside. Um, that's probably an adjustment that they're going to make. Let's be honest. This is a good team. They're, mm-hmm. they're very good. Game three is right around the corner and they'll probably have those adjustments and those passes ready to go. Um, do you trust Marcus Morris to be able to be more consistent than he was tonight? You know, it's funny. I, I made this whole spiel about like the Millsap Marcus Morris thing. And then I looked back at the box score and like Millsap scored two more points than him. But it just felt yeah. like a lot more, you know, uh, he got some Morris got some points right at the end. And, and yeah. I thought he did a, did a nice job of keeping them in that game right at mm-hmm. the end of it. Yeah. The thing with Marcus Morris is that the Clippers offense is better when he's not doing anything individually. Right. If you've gotten yeah. to the point where Marcus Morris isolations are your offensive play call, then something has gone wrong, right? So he's doing exactly what he needs to to fill in that role, right? Like he's just hitting the threes that are open when they're available to him and he's not doing anything more than that. Uh, he just didn't hit as many as, you know, you would expect him to in the start sure. of the game. And then uh, I think he had like a couple turnovers too that were just, just a little sloppy. Like the Clippers as a whole were just a little too sloppy in the first half. And, you know, those things add up and it's it's hard to come back from. I mean, I, I also think like the Clippers backcourt um, – but like Patrick Beverly, Landry Shamit, Ren, Reggie Jackson were just almost entirely invisible on offense. And yeah, that was that was interesting. I, I thought that Shamit would be a little bit more involved than he has been in, mm-hmm. in each of the first two games, honestly. He's such a good shooter and such a good off ball mover that against the Nuggets, he should be able to free up and take some shots. Yeah, the Clippers have never, I shouldn't say never, but uh, he was such a breath of fresh air when he came over to the Clippers on the trade deadline last year. And he was such a crucial part of that team that, you know, took the Warriors to six and just was sure. really, really great from February onwards. Uh, the team has not really figured out how to use him off the bench or Shamit has never really gotten comfortable with that role. Like he had a nice start to the season when he was starting in place of Paul George. Ever since he came back, it's just been like, he's great when he spot starts. And then he sort of just falls into this morass of like 11 potential rotation players and not everyone can get there as for the Clippers. The identity of the Clippers has always, like, especially on the bench, has always been the the Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell pick and roll. And then when you're in the playoffs, especially, like, you're always going to have one of PG or Kawhi out there. So mm-hmm. then one of those guys is getting shots. And so it's those three guys that will be on the floor. And I can't imagine that Shamit feels super comfortable with the number of shots that he's getting on a consistent basis. Yeah, I mean, I really like there was this one play either, I think it was in the second quarter, we had, like, a nice drive into the te- defense and then just sort of tried to take it out. And uh, that was like the one time where I was like, oh, that's Shamit, you know, like, and then that was it, um, which is, which is <laughs> yeah. too bad because I, I thought Shamit was so important to the Clippers turning things around against the Mavericks. Um, he was 
like filled that starting point guard role exactly what the Clippers needed him to do. He moved the ball. He was just enough of what they needed on defense. And like depth is shouldn't be a problem, but I feel like on the Clippers, guys just get lost sometimes. You know, like I, I feel like this happens to Jamichael Green where uh, Trez and Zubach get the minutes and he's just sort of forgotten. And he had a nice stretch today where they got to play him at backup five, which I think we'll be seeing more of in this series because with the number of minutes Jokic plays, Trez just doesn't have the ability to withstand that matchup. Um, poor guy, he just got a six man of the year and he's going to be played off the court in this series. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's let's I wanna I wanna push on that point a little bit because I think these both of these teams are gonna make some adjustments in game three. Uh, whoever wins game three is probably going to win the series, I think. Uh, yeah. I expect, like, I mean, the Nuggets have, have been in this situation before where they literally just came back from 3-1. So it's it's not like they can't do it, but the Clippers are such a better team than the than the Jazz, and they have the best player in the world, in my opinion. And he didn't play like that tonight, but he is capable of doing that and just reaching a level that I don't think any of these players on either side are capable of getting to. So uh, if if the Clippers were to lose Game 3, what would you? What do you think Doc, Doc Rivers' adjustment is going to be? Because I don't think he's going to change the lineup or anything like that in Game Three. Mm-hmm. They're probably just going to. Both teams are probably just going to run out the same crew and see if they're both playing well. Uh, what, right. what would Doc Rivers' adjustments be? I guess it kind of depends on how they lose Game Three. You know, um, like against Dallas, uh, they had to change their coverages on Luca because he was just dicing them up. You know. Luca's good. Luca's really good. Yeah. He's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of miss watching him. That was a that was a fun yeah. time. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think it all depends on that, right? Like uh, for me, uh, the the Clippers like so they started off with just like no defensive intensity, and then they were turning the ball over left and right, and that led to them being, you know, even further behind. And then I thought, I mean, they won every quarter after the first, and they played defensively. I thought really well in the second and third, uh, and it's just. You know, maybe Gary Harris doesn't hit a couple of those shots and we're talking about a different outcome. But it it all depends, like, you know, what direction we're going in. Because, like, the Clippers can handle a bad game from just about anybody on the roster. They cannot handle a bad game, apparently, from Kawhi Leonard. And this is the first one we've seen in, I can't even tell you how long. Like, it's been a very long time since Kawhi Leonard has looked this bad. Um, he was does coming it, in. Quickly on that, does that does that give you pause? Like, because it, it it must be so nice being so comfortable with Kawhi Leonard putting up thirty a game and just looking like an amazing Terminator of a player. Like, mm-hmm. is it is it like jarring to see him not play well? It was really really weird. Um, I don't read anything into it honestly. Like, uh, you know, Paul George doesn't play well, and I think like okay, maybe he's overthinking it or like his, you know, just looking for bad shots or, you know, there's a bunch of other reasons I could go into it. I could, you know, I can rationalize it for any other guy on the the Clippers. It's just with Kawhi. Again, I I don't mean to disperse the job that Jeremy Grant or the 
the Denver defense did. Like they definitely it's fine. It's fine. You're good. Team, like, like, yeah. like there are, there are maybe two guys in the league that could match up with Kawhi Leonard physically. And the Nuggets don't have any of those two guys. They've got one who's really close, but like, like, yeah, it's not perfect, right? But I, I just don't see that happening to Kawhi again. Like, he came into this game with what twenty straight fifteen point, sorry, fifteen straight twenty point games in the playoffs. He had hit, Nuts. he'd been averaging like thirty two over the course of the postseason. Uh, I, I say this a lot, like on my other show, but like he just has like this metronomic consistency. Like he just he gets to his spots every time he wants to. Uh, it seems like it's more a function of what he wants to do than what the defense is allowing him to do, you know, and they just have to react over and over again. And that wasn't the case today. I mean, I feel like uh, the Clippers will probably try to make a couple of adjustments just to make his job a little bit easier because, you know, they are throwing the bulk of their defensive energy at him for good reason. I get yeah, that. Yeah, as they um, should. Let's be real. Yeah. I always go back and forth on this. Like, do you want to just let Kawhi beat you and like hone in on the other four guys? Or are you just going to make his life as difficult as possible and hope that that, like has a trickle effect and apparently that was a good strategy today but i don't know that it's sustainable over the course of a six, seven game series uh but to get back to your original question i it's not jarring for me like it's just it's weird um but he's human i suppose <laughs> so it's gonna happen once <laughs> we in asked, a while we ask that question a lot and, and usually the answer is he's not human but but <laughs> t- tonight he showed some weakness um I'm, I'm really interested in seeing how that plays out because the nuggets they they have their best defensive group out there, I think, for stopping Kawhi. It's Gary Harris who who looks great. Like let's let's be real. Like that the defensive performance that he put out there against Paul George, against Kawhi when he was switched on to him, that was some of the best defense that I've seen from him. And we just watched Game Seven against Utah where he shut down Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson. The thing, and guys this like is that. like four games that he's played in the bubble. It's remarkable. He's really good, and and yeah. I think this has really changed my opinion on him personally. Because he was somebody who's in and out of the, the lineup, he's just not not a super impactful shooter, uh, had averaged 17 and a half a game in like his fourth season and was looking like one of the better up-and-coming wings, and then he dropped off the face of the earth. Now, if he can defend at this level, like this is Marcus Smart level, this is for, for a guard to be this impactful, I think is really impressive against this team, against like... Because Paul George is just six eight, six nine. Kawhi is six seven, six eight. Like like those guys are massive, and Gary Gary Harris is like six two. Like it is not. It's not yeah. really close. Like is he listed like six four? I always think of him as that. He's listed six four. It's not. It's not six four. <laughs> I think. I think that's that's kind of a running joke around Nuggets media who's been at the locker gotcha. rooms. Um, but let's turn let's turn forward to Game Three now. Uh, Jokic and Murray really got going in that first half, slowed down in the second, but it allowed for some other role players to really get going. Uh, do you think that the Clippers send the house at Jokic and Murray to start this game and force the role players to beat them? Or do you think they try to defend that two-on-two and see how it goes? I think they're going to try to defend it two-on-two, uh, but I yeah. do expect them to vary their coverages a little bit. Um, they, It sounds so strange because like in the game, in the first quarter, they weren't doing anything. Like They just weren't providing any resistance to anything that Jokic and Murray wanted to do, uh, which is, is a bad idea when those guys are so yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, my, my gut is that they're going to stay like through their base. They're going to have Zubac contend with Jokic one-on-one and just ask him to play better, which I think is a reasonable ask. Not probably not as good as he was in game one, but somewhere in between where they landed in game one and game two. And maybe they'll just like, you know, 
throw an occasional blitz or double at Murray, but not make that a regular feature of their defensive coverages. The interesting thing I thought about this game was when when looking at the box score, the Nuggets shot 15 of 40 from three, which is 37.5%, which isn't unsustainable. It's it's kind of normal in terms of like like it's good. When yeah. It's it's good, and you, and you like that they yeah. hit fifteen threes, but it's not an otherworldly shooting number that they've been putting out there lately. So, I wonder if they can continue to do that. I wonder if they can continue to put pressure on the drop coverage that the Clippers like to play when Zubac is out there, mm-hmm. and then maybe that turns into some mismatches down the line when. Jokic is being defended by Montrezl Harrell or Draymond or uh, not Draymond, Jamichael Green. <laughs> yeah, like those guys are are really good, and they change the the way that the Clippers play so much. I thought that that was a really interesting wrinkle that the Clippers threw out there today, was that their closing lineup actually looked pretty good with Jamichael Green defending at the five. Yeah, it's funny because um, I had spent a lot of time thinking about the Clippers against Utah uh, for obvious reasons. Obvious reasons, um, I get it. <laughs> um, and. Doc loves the Jermichael Green matchup on Rudy Gobert because he pulls him out of the paint because Jermichael has a little bit of stretch capability and allows him to switch everything against Utah as well. Um, But it's a little different against Denver, obviously, because defending Rudy Gobert in the post is a very different animal than defending Nikola Jokic in the post. And I do think Doc gets a little – his leash is a little short on Zub when it comes to defensive mistakes, and he – his instinct is to want to go smaller. It's wanting to go with Montrezl Harrell. It's wanting to go with Jermichael Green at the five. And even when those guys like get abused a little bit, they get a little more time to work through their mistakes than Zubac does. It's just, maybe it's because Zub's younger. Uh, maybe they show it more in practice. Uh, there's a long running debate on the Clippers internet that, you know, Zubac should be playing way more minutes. And I'm firmly in support of that. But for whatever reason, those guys get a, a longer hook. Uh, I do think we're going to see more of green at the five though, because for the amount of time the doc talks about it, it has to be used at some point. And this is like the first time this entire postseason that we've seen it. And Michael's good. He just does. Like, little really things. Like, he just does little things that like help you win. Like that one little offensive rebound that he just sort of scooted over to Trez to get a dunk in that fourth quarter. Um, he hits jumpers, you know, he, he obviously can't defend Jokic one-on-one and the Clippers have to be smarter about how they double because Jokic was just reading those coverages. Like, like a book, you know, in the fourth quarter, like Gary Harris was wide open every single time. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, but that's the coverage. That's, that's yeah. the, that's the thing that really hurts when you have Jamichael Green at the five specifically. Mm-hmm. And, and Montrezl Harrell was, was another guy was that when you have to consistently send a second guy, I don't think there's anybody in the league who's as good at Jokic as hitting the passes out of the post mm-hmm. on the money, making the right read every single time. Uh, he's going to do that. He's going to do that consistently. And, and if they're going to continue to double, he's so unselfish that he's not going to shoot in those situations. Sometimes you right. see from big post scorers like a, a Joel Embiid or an Anthony Davis that they get a little bit shot happy even when the double's coming because they still want to beat it. So I wonder mm-hmm. if that's if that's going to work. I do like the idea of for the Clippers specifically to play five out mm-hmm. and then maybe you you move Jokic away from the rim Although the, the interesting thing is, is that given the fact that Jokic doesn't play a lot of like, like he, he doesn't play a lot of rim protection defense anyway, like exactly. he's, he's good, but like I, I, I do think that he's a good positional defender when he's there. But when you move him away from the rim, it just causes the rotations for other guys like Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant and Gary Harris, who are better defenders. Yeah. And I think we, we started this podcast talking about how good the Nuggets were in help, right? And mm-hmm. the Clippers just have to be better, right? Like you can 
you can double Jokic and the other guys can help, you know, clear up those missing shooters on the backside. Like that's, that's the thing that they could do and they just didn't do today. You know, yeah. I thought they were as dialed in as they could have been defensively in game one. You know, maybe they let up a little bit at the end because it was a bit of a route. I'm going to be honest, I, I didn't pay attention to most of the fourth quarter of that game. But, um, <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, this was, this was just not to their capability. You know, like they, they made mistakes defensively. And I credit to Jokic because he's going to punish you for those mistakes every single time. But I do think that there is a way to double him. And the Clippers have the personnel where maybe like they're one of the few teams that have the defensive personnel to actually work in that situation. What did you think of Michael Porter Jr.'s defense tonight? Hmm. Uh, it's really hard to defend a Lou Williams mantra style pick and roll. Sure. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a really successful action for them. Um, I can't say that I noticed uh, him making a ton of mistakes on defense. Uh, I don't know if that's the other guys were like covering for him. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to put you on the spot with this because, because as, as somebody who watches his defense consistently, you're more watching on what the Clippers are doing offensively. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I noticed Uh, a lot of what he was doing on offense, uh, but I thought he was a little too confident on offense, but he's also like, you you mentioned this earlier. And I think it's a really good point that uh, Denver just has more size than I expected them to. Like, I I obviously knew who the personnel were on their roster, but like you think of them starting Gary Harrison, Will Barton for the majority of the season. And like, they bring Monte Morris off the bench. And like, it's, it's a team that I thought was just a little bit smaller. Maybe that's just the, the residual effect of like, like you said, you know, letting Rodney hood bully them in the playoffs last year. Sure, Sure. But the Clippers, like their wings are just so big. You know, you've got Leonard and Morris and George and it's, it's imposing physically. And I, I guess I forgot that like Denver, even if their guys aren't two way guys, right. Like, you know, um, Jeremy Grant, like struggled quite a bit on offense and Gary Harris is not really regarded as a shooter. And uh, Michael Porter jr. Obviously there's something you wanted me to go with on defense. Cause he's not, <laughs> defensively. but like they, at least make you feel them, you know, like they're, they're bigger than I expected. And that just like Lou Williams, he, he's a smaller dude. And like, you put just arms in his face and like that causes an impact. So bothers him just a little bit. I have mm-hmm. to imagine. Um, I, the reason why I brought it up was I thought this was actually Michael Porter's best defensive game in the bubble. He has been put through the fire. Let's be honest. Like, mm-hmm. like he he started game one of the playoffs against Utah started games two and three when they got absolutely routed. He looked like a liability for most of that series started to come around in games five, six, and seven. Thought he was a little bit slow on the jump in game one of this series, but then game two tonight, I thought he was great. I thought that there there were a lot of possessions where he wouldn't necessarily close out to the right guy or he wouldn't be on a string like you have to be in team defense. He wouldn't switch onto the right person. When he's showing and recovering on defense, so many times he's caught out of position there, but tonight he was good every single time. Uh, I thought Jamichael Green went at him one time in isolation and, and Porter stripped him. Uh, so, so much of Porter specifically is that his value obviously is going to come from the offensive end. Like he's not, he's not going to be an impactful defender, but if he's a good enough defender to stay on the floor, I think it may allow him to play through some of the, the shooting tendencies that he has. And, and if he continues to like, if he can knock down some more shots than he did tonight, he was five of 10, but one of five from three, then that might change this series in favor of Denver. I'm, I'm, 
dead serious on that because of his size and athleticism and his physicality. Yeah, I mean, he he's so talented. Like, there's just no denying that. And to think that you could just, like, drop a guy like that into your rotation. I understand he was playing minutes, you know, over the course of the regular <laughs> yeah. season. But, like, not real minutes. alone had difficulty keeping him out there for extended periods of time and for good reason. Uh, but, yeah, just to think that you could just literally add a guy with that level of skill – um, and just be like, all right, we got another like six nine dude who rebounds everything that comes to him, uh, and who's got a really sweet jump shot too. Uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, we, I have this thing with Lou Williams all the time where like he's not going to help you on defense, but he just needs to execute within the scheme and like not, you know, just give up on plays, you know. And he had killer block on Monte Morris today. That was fun. But, that was cool. That was yeah. cool. He got up a super high. <laughs> yeah, I, I did not know Lou was capable of that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean. I, one of the things I was so interested in going into the series was like, which bench would be more flammable because the Clippers play this lineup with Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell and Reggie Jackson a lot of the time. And even when you play Kawhi Leonard next to them, it has not been a successful group at defending, but they're so good offensively that like you give them a moment just to get the Clippers offense going again. And Denver has this, you know, group where I, Mason Plumley and Michael Porter Jr. and Monte Morris and I, I don't think any of them are really plus defenders. I have I go back and forth to Mason Plumley because I've been watching he's not, him. He's not he was, a plus defender. He's yeah, a yeah, plus I've been watching defender. him since he was at Duke, okay. right? Like, uh, yeah. and I, I don't think he's a plus defender. Michael Malone apparently thinks he's a plus defender, but uh, it's just one of those things where like they do a lot of really good things offensively, and that's what you keep them in the game. And it's just whoever is able to provide a little bit more resistance, I think, is going to be such a huge factor in you know those second and fourth quarters. Corey Craig is that guy on the on Denver's bench who comes in and defends the opposing team's best player. Mm-hmm. He started he was on the today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He started he started the playoffs in the starting lineup, but then was benched because it it just wasn't working. They needed more playmaking out there. And Craig's not a he's not an offensive player for per se. Uh, I think that, that that could be a real battleground. If Craig can match up reasonably well with Lou Williams, like if Lou Williams has 13 points on 16 shots going forward, no matter how many assists he has, that's, that's going to be extremely helpful for Denver in limiting what the, what the Clippers can do. Uh, Cause like you said, that's their identity is the, the Lou Williams, Montrose Harrell pick and roll doing that consistently well, making sure that Lou can get to his spots and create. And I, I think that that'll be an interesting battleground going forward. Yeah. I thought Montrose would be more successful than he has been against Mason Plumley. Um, so it's kind of been a win for the Nuggets that, you know, Montrez only got 10 points and he just, you didn't feel his presence there in the same way that I thought you would. Like I, during the regular season, I feel like he just, he just eats Mason up. <laughs> and he does, but right now. thing is, thing is though, is that with Plumley, like he, this is the playoffs and Plumley's mm-hmm. just not going to play as many minutes as the regular season he's, he's yes, like he's down to 11 minutes now usually he's at 15 to 18 during the regular season so having just a little bit of extra time with Jokic out there with Millsap out there with Grant out there it really helps from a size perspective um mm-hmm. so I I don't know how much we, we really need to cover uh other than this like do you, do you have any other points from game two that you want to talk about or, or expand upon yeah I mean I you said this earlier, is it just going to come down to which team shoots better, you know, game to game? And it's, it seems so reductive because I thought Denver did so many really good things that like meaningfully made a difference, but at the same time they made 15 threes and the Clippers made nine and 
maybe that's your margin. Uh, but like you said, you know, it's also not an unsustainable number. You know, the average shooting team in the bubble is shooting about 38% from three. So this is, this is something we can expect going forward. Uh, I will say that the Clippers have not lost back-to-back games uh, in a very long time. <laughs> yeah, I, without looking up the number, I have to imagine it goes back I to before, say they're like, before COVID. And, they were like 22-4 and four after a loss this season. So this is not a team that uh, stays down for very long. And yeah, I would expect a, a much better effort in game three. That's a little bit daunting. Not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> 22 and three, uh, 22 and four is a really strong number. Um, so is that your prediction going into game three that the Clippers bounce back, take it? Yes. Okay. I think that's probably my prediction too. I, I had the Clippers winning this series in six. I don't want to appear as a, a biased Nuggets observer who, who oversells the, the talent, like, uh, despair or who undersells the talent disparity between these two teams mm-hmm. because Michael Porter Jr. is really good, but he's not quite ready yet. Like he's not quite ready to be the the twenty plus point per game scorer. If he does break out in this bubble, if he does start to hit some of those outside shots, then maybe that makes this margin a little bit closer. But I thought we saw from the Nuggets defensively tonight and from Jokic and Murray being able to consistently generate good looks that they can compete with this team. They may not win the series, but they're going to probably take at least another game off of them. Uh, I don't think the performance tonight was unsustainable. I do think the Clippers can get better, but this is something that I think we can expect from the Nuggets. They don't quit. Like they're, they're a really good team. They haven't, they've played in three game sevens already in the, in the past two years. So like they, they know how to push the series and continue to fight hard and not lose until the very end. Yeah, I, I think uh, you're, you're right on the money there. Uh, I didn't believe coming into the bubble that the Nuggets would be able to compete with the Clippers, uh, just mostly going off of that February game when, God, the Clippers looked so good against the Nuggets. So and, good. Yeah. So good. But they are competing with them, and that in itself is a win. I know, obviously, the Nuggets were not satisfied with that, but... Um, no, it's like this, the only thing that's going to best team in the league. Like I really yeah. do think that the Clippers are the best team in the NBA, and they're yeah. the best playoff team in the NBA. It's just that this Nuggets matchup is a little bit closer than people think because Jeremy Grant's going to play a lot more, mm-hmm. and Gary Harris is still a really good defender, and Michael Porter Jr. Even though when he gets out there, he's a little bit lost. Like he's still six ten and can shoot. Yeah, and that's one of those things that's fun about the playoffs, right? Like where you're not going to meaningfully change your rotation for a February game, even if it is against a team that you project to face in the playoffs. But there are so many little wrinkles that you can throw in in a playoff game that, you know, eventually add up to something. And that's kind of Absolutely. what we said here. I, I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. This is going to be really fun. I do think that the Nuggets lose uh, on, on Monday, but – We'll see how it goes. Like, if they win, that would be a really, really interesting wrinkle to all of this. That I, I think that a lot of people wrote them off after game one. A lot of people wrote them off going into the series. Like, <laughs> there were some. I, I don't think a. I don't think an ESPN expert picked them to go or to win the series. I think no, it was that. it was a Clipper sweep. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, obviously, the Clippers they're they're only going to win in five if they win the next three games. They're not going <laughs> to win in four like all of the people predicted they would, but. We're gonna see how it goes. I'm 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 excited by this outcome and think that it's it's at least fun as a Nuggets fan to watch your team compete and to watch your team bring it against the best in the league. Right. So I just to clarify, you think that this game is more indicative of what the Nuggets can do going forward than what game one was? 
Oh yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah. I, I think that the the Nuggets clearly didn't bring the intensity in game one. It yeah. it, it it looks like two different teams, and mm-hmm. and the shooting wasn't there, the intensity wasn't there, the execution wasn't there. I think that this team at their ceiling is like just a smidge and under what a championship contender really is, like just a smidge. Uh, I think they're clearly the third best team in the West, although the Rockets are giving the Lakers hell, so we'll see if they continue to do that. Uh, but we're going to see. I'm looking forward to seeing how this thing breaks out because if if the Nuggets win game three, that changes everything from this outlook. Yeah, and I, I also think it's just far more interesting when the Clippers are tested a little, and this is this is a good test. Looking forward to it. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me on this. This was a lot of fun, and I, I hope we get to do this again, maybe after game four or five. Yeah, this was really helpful, actually, to clarify some of my thoughts about the Nuggets, so thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, that's going to do it my end on, on my end for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Make sure to check out Sabrina over at Silver. Uh, you're at Clips Nation, but you're also at Silver Screen and Roll doing some Lakers stuff, so make sure to check her out. She's doing great work over there. Um, and continue to read up on this series and and enjoy all of the games to come. That's going to do it here. We'll talk to you guys very soon.